Welcome, everybody, to day two of the ACB DC Leadership Conference in memory of Charlie Crawford, our second executive director with the American Council of Blind and a wonderful member and advocate of our organization and for the blind and visually impaired community. The theme for this year's uh, conference is fostering voice choice and community. And I believe we really accomplished that yesterday. And I look forward to another wonderful day with our first day of our legislative seminar. I want to welcome everybody back. And I would like first to recognize our sponsors that do such a marvelous job of uh, helping us promote this conference each year. Our presidential sponsor is J.P. Morgan Chase. Our congressional sponsor is Vanda Pharmaceuticals and our Beltway sponsor is Vespiro. So once again, thank you so much to all of our sponsors. And thank you members and friends of ACB for all your wonderful participation yesterday. We are going to again ask you to consider becoming a member of the monthly monetary support program MMS. Yesterday, Edwin Crispin from California was our winner of the $50 gift card. So congratulations, Edwin, and I uh, hope you spend it well. We'll have another $50 drawing after today's uh, events on Monday and also another one on Tuesday. And then everybody that participates this weekend will be in a big drawing for a smart television. So please consider participating in the monthly monetary support program. Gene Mann and George Holliday are standing by to take your information. You can reach them through email at askacbmms. Excuse me, askacbmms at gmail.com. So that's askacbmms at gmail.com. Or you can leave them a message and they'll get right back to you at 202-743-0755. That's 202-743-0755. Thank you all so much, all of those of you that are members of the Monthly Monetary Support Program. MMS really is one of the key cornerstones for us being able to provide these wonderful programs and services to our community. And now I would like to introduce our Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, Clark Rockfull, to take us away for day two and, and the first day of the DC Leadership Conference Legislative Seminar. Clark, welcome. Thank you so much, Dan, and hello to everyone. Whether, geez, there are so many ways to join. Uh, it used to be a simple thing, but not only do we have people joining us over Zoom, but also ACB Radio, Facebook Live, YouTube Live, the ACB Link, and Smart Speakers. So welcome to everyone for day one of the ACB Legislative Seminar. In the past, this event was only one day, but here we are embracing collaboration and flexibility and initiative as our ACB core values. We are not limited by hotel rooms and travel and squeezing congressional meetings into a single day. So why not do it up a bit, right? So we are coming to you over two days for this legislative seminar. 
18 panels, uh, more than 45 invited speakers and guests. And we'll be getting to our first ones here shortly. But again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for your dedication to advocacy over what has been a, a truly challenging and change-inspiring year. And we are looking to build upon the success and the relationships that we have grown throughout 2020 and throughout all the years of the DC leadership meeting, uh, all the way back to Charlie Crawford and even before. Uh, so we really wanna keep this momentum going. This year's legislative seminar, we've grouped issues to five main tracks. And we'll be kicking off with a couple of those here this afternoon. The first one being transportation, also one that we're calling live, learn and earn with vision loss. And those will run concurrently this afternoon, breakouts A and B. And for those listening on ACB radio, those will be available on mainstream as well as live stream. And then we'll bring it all back together for our final session of today for another general session on voting accessibility. Uh, a hot topic for ACB, everyone across the country in 2020, and the disability and cross-disability community. And then tomorrow, we'll all be back here again for our general session, kicking off with the US Access Board and following that presentation with our digital inclusion track, as well as our health and wellness track. And then much like Dan did last night by wrapping up just a great day of programming for the president's meetings with a, a fireside chat. I, I know I was blown away and from the, the messages that we've been seeing, a lot of our members and friends, uh, Dan really loved that fireside chat. So I hope that's something that we can do each year, if not more than once a year. We really wanna keep that momentum going as well. So our final general session, we'll have the policy heads for our partner organizations, joining us to share their priorities here for the 117th Congress and here in 2021. But I also wanna highlight the ACB legislative imperatives. And you can find this information on the ACB website by visiting acb.org and looking at the information where they are linked on the homepage, as well as on the page for the DC leadership meetings. We have the reintroducing and passing the Medicare Demonstration of Coverage for Low Vision Devices Act. That bill's been introduced on a bipartisan basis each year since 2013. And we think with the emphasis placed on accessible healthcare, that was definitely brought to the forefront by the pandemic, but an issue that has persisted for many years prior to 2020, that this is a great opportunity to make headway on this issue. The second item, again, not, uh, not new to ACB and our friends and, and members, but certainly exacerbated by the pandemic is access to accessible transportation. And we are seeking for the uh, bipartisan reintroduction and the passage of the disability access to transportation. And then last but not least, uh, perfectly dovetailed from our health and wellness track and the ACB Get Up and Get Moving campaign, the Exercise and Fitness for All Act, making exercise and fitness equipment more accessible 
for people who are blind and with vision loss and the cross disability community. So we can get up and get moving. So we can take charge of our health and be ready to come out of social isolation and social distancing and ready to go here in 2021. Our advocacy as an organization has always been important. I know many of you have heard that from me, as well as Tony Stevens, Eric Bridges, Dan Spoon, Kim Charlson, Charlie Crawford, and on down the line over the years. So in case you're a little tired of hearing about how important advocacy is for me, we have a special guest who's gonna be joining us to share how important advocacy is uh, Representative Gus Bilirakis from the 12th District of Florida and co-chair of the Congressional Vision Caucus. Welcome to this American Council Summit. I'm Congressman Gus Bilirakis. In addition to Florida's 12th Congressional District, I'm the lead Republican Protection Subcommittee and a member of the Health Subcommittee and Technology Subcommittee. I'm also the co-chairman of the Congressional Vision Caucus. These roles be aware of the for Americans as an individual with hearing and visual impairment, these issues are incredibly personal. I understand the unique struggles that those with these challenges face every day. They seek to fully participate in all aspects of society, perform the daily activities of life. I will never stop fighting for. While I would love to be greeted in person, and I, and most, I hope to do so uh, very soon, I understand this for, for everyone, very effective. It's an honor to greet and most important to thank you for your advocacy. Lawmakers meet with many people each day, but I found that the personal individuals really make the biggest impact. Sharing the challenges that you and I or your loved ones due to vision loss can help to garner much needed support for the legislators we as a caucus. So thank you for getting outside your comfort zone and educating your elected officials about how Congress can be positive in the lives of those vision loss. I know the great work you have in the past work in the future. Again, thank you. And I look forward to meeting with you again in person. God bless you. All right. Thank you so much, Representative Bill Arrakis. Uh, and everything that you do for your constituents and all Americans living with vision loss. And how, how impactful. Um, I know it's, it might seem a little, little cheesy or corny to say, especially when we say it, how impactful sharing our personal stories can be in advocacy, but it's, it's so true. So sharing personal stories when you're working with your state and special interest affiliates, to schedule those meetings uh, this week and next with our members of Congress, really putting the personal touch on what having access to low vision devices or accessible health and exercise and fitness equipment would mean to you. What more accessible transportation options would mean for your quality of life and independence and economic opportunity? Those are going to be the message that we, messages that we carry on Capitol Hill, albeit virtually this year. And those will be the stories and the relationships that we build that help us move these issues. So this year, it is a 
it's a, <laughs> not the dawning of the age of Aquarius, uh, but the dawning of a new Congress, the 117th Congress. We're in the, the first term here in 2021. And it's also the first year of a new administration in the White House. So President Biden, Vice President Harris, uh, the 46th president. So there, there's a lot of changes happening in Washington, D.C., and it's a great opportunity for us to reconnect with familiar friends and also meet and connect with new members and their staff. But to join us now and talk with us about the political landscape here in 2021 and for the 117th Congress. He joined us last year at our last in-person event, oh, so many months ago. And he's back again this year, Charles Cooper, the Managing Director and head of, head of, excuse me, Charles, Accessibility or Community Engagement for Signal Group. Charles, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I, uh, I really appreciate the opportunity and, and thanks especially to, to Clark and Tony and Eric and other friends at ACB for, for the invite to, to be here. Charles. It does seem like last year's conference uh, was about six years ago, but we are, uh, we're, I'm excited to be back and really um, look forward to getting into more of a con conversation when we get into some questions and answers. So um, Clark, should I just proceed and then we'll do questions after? Sounds good, thanks Charles. Okay, great. Well, I was, um, you know, I, I, I wanna talk about four things really. One is just give you an overview of sort of where the, the focus in the Biden administration is. Secondly, a little bit about what to expect in 2021. Uh, I know nobody wants to hear it, but I'll touch on politics of 2022 and 2024. And also since everyone's gonna be communicating with their policymakers, I thought I'd just give a, a couple helpful hints of things that we've seen, especially especially during COVID. But I'd, I'd first note that, you know, as Clark is talking about the five policy tracks that you all are focusing on, voting, transportation, education, employment, digital health and wellness, they so perfectly align with many of the priorities that the new administration and new Congress uh, is focusing on, especially the three uh, policy, uh, legislative imperatives that, that you'll be talking about. So I only highlight that as, you know, this, this year may be a little bit different as you're having some of these conversations with your elected officials because uh, the, the, there's been not only a change in personnel, but, but also a change in priority, uh, a change in focus, and because of COVID, a significant, a significant change in how people are viewing the policy landscape. So with that, let me, let me talk a little bit about the Biden administration. You know, people, when, when we give these talks, people always ask, what are the top three uh, priorities of, of the new administration? And then this one, you know, it's, it's hard to say that COVID is not all of the top three, but COVID is clearly leading, uh, leading the way when it comes to how the administration is focusing their, their people, their time, and their, their agenda. And that's really, uh, you know, across several different issues. One is the, is COVID relief, on the ground relief that uh, 
you know, the Congress is considering now. Secondly, in no particular order is vaccine distribution, which is considerably ramping up. Uh, and then third, which we're not there yet, but is more economic recovery. I think what we've seen over the last, uh, you know, close to a year and, and into this administration since COVID started, when you're seeing these packages move through, it's a, it's a lot of money, but it's largely been focused on more immediate near-term on the ground relief. And at some point we're gonna convert or they will convert into looking more at economic recovery over the long-term. I don't think, as I said, we're there yet, but for now, everything is focused on this one relief bill and vaccine distribution uh, from a COVID perspective. So in addition to COVID, obviously the new administration is really focused on nominations and staffing. They're about one, uh, one, a little over one month in and about half the cabinet is, uh, is in place, which obviously means there's a, a lot of folks that are not. I believe there's four hearings going on this week of cabinet members. Uh, next week, there's uh, some plan to be considered on the floor but getting the cabinet together and then senior staff and other nominees together is, uh, is really important. And then uh, this reconciliation package, which is moving through Congress now um, and will likely be done by mid-March is something that is a, a really big, big focus and priority. In terms of, of what to expect, because there's a lot of, you know, with a new administration and a new Congress, Everybody, uh, you know, believes that that everything is going to be new and exciting and move quickly. And I don't, I don't mean to uh, to counter that narrative, but but these are are very tough. It's a very tough process to start moving moving things when there's a new administration because they're just trying to get ramped up. But a couple of things to expect. One is the, the immediate focus is on this relief package. And because of procedural difficulties, it's gonna take a little bit of time to get through the House and Senate, but that is where all the focus legislatively is going to be on. This is not going to be the last stimulus package. I think there will be uh, another one and the, other, the next one will likely be probably more focused on broader recovery, but there certainly will be, I believe, another stimulus package related to, to uh, COVID. Uh, third is infrastructure and transportation, which obviously touches on some of the core issues that, that you all will be speaking to your policymakers about, including um, accessibility and also uh, anyone who's, who is, uh, will be talking about uh, autonomous vehicles. You know, that a big transportation package has to be done by uh, the end of September. That was supposed to be done last year, but they punted it a year. So it has to be done by the end of September. The committees right now are just in the early stages of getting uh, that new legislation uh, drafted, meeting with stakeholder groups. So your conversations are very timely on the accessibility front as it relates to transportation. And it is very likely that that will be paired with a broader infrastructure package, which also could touch on a number of your issues. Infrastructure is very broad. It's not sort of the traditional focus on transportation only, 
but it crosses everything from from healthcare to uh, to energy, uh, transportation, uh, financial services, everything. So there's opportunities, especially on the funding side, to include uh, to include priorities within infrastructure. Obviously, there, there's also going to be a lot of attention on funding for the year, funding all the agencies, and that has to also happen by the end of September. And uh, and then for at least the foreseeable future, there will be um, a lot of activity on the Senate floor trying to finish all the nominations. There's a lot of nominations when a new administration comes in, as I mentioned earlier, and those will have to take place here uh, in the near term. Uh, there will be a considerable amount of oversight. As you can imagine, the Senate being a new Democratic majority has not had uh, the, the to chair committees in a while. And now that they will, there will be a significant amount of oversight. And that oversight is going to be used in part to help uh, validate and justify the uh, priorities and the agenda of the Democratic majority in the Senate. So that's also something really important to monitor. And lastly, I, I would note a, a little bit about partisanship. When I was talking uh, in our, the last time I was at the ACB conference, I, I mentioned how Congress was at the highest point of partisanship probably in recent history. I, I think it's fair to say that we've exceeded that at this point. That being said, I think there's gonna be a lot of partisanship in public and there will be a lot of negotiation behind the scenes. I anticipate uh, that Senator McConnell, along with his leadership team, will, will actually be heavily negotiating with the Democratic majority because they, they need to be able to reach that 60 vote threshold. And it's everybody's interest uh, coming up to yet another election year. It's in everybody's interest to try to move policy. And so I would, I would anticipate there's, a, there's actually gonna be a lot more negotiation and bipartisanship behind the scenes, not necessarily in, in the papers or, or uh, highlighted on the, uh, on the Sunday shows, but there will be a lot of bipartisanship that, uh, that will take place. And I anticipate large legislation moving. The other, the other important thing to, to realize is because of the narrow majority, the Senate is split evenly 50-50 and the vice president breaks, breaks the tie on all votes and has already done so in some cases. But because of that, the real power players here are gonna be uh, the moderates. So members of the Senate like Senator Manchin from West Virginia or Senator Collins from, from Maine will really be the power players when it comes to moving legislation. Uh, one member uh, moving on either side of an issue can be the difference between passage or not. So uh, there is a, a lot of focus on trying to look to the middle of the aisle there and, and position issues in a bipartisan manner. The issues that you're focused on are obviously very bipartisan, which positions uh, you all in ACB well. Uh, and I, I anticipate that that will help move things a little bit easier across the finish. Uh, a couple things about the election. I know all of us have election fatigue at this point, but in Washington, D.C., there's, there's never a time when an election isn't happening. And uh, we are actually only 
624 days away from the 2022 election. Um, a couple of things that that are that's important to note here. One, as as you all know, it was a, a really good election night for Senate Democrats and and uh, Democrats uh, pushing for for President Biden to be in the White House. Uh, Republicans actually had a pretty good good election night in the House. They overperformed uh, predictions and closed the gap pretty narrowly. Right now, there's uh, three vacancies in the House, two of which are are Republican seats, one of which is a Democrat. But with those vacancies, there's 211 Republicans and 221 Democrats. That narrowed the margin significantly uh, since the last election. And many of the Democrats that were able to hold on in very tight races are in extremely marginal districts, uh, very moderate districts, which are usually the ones in a election that have the toughest, toughest time on each side of the aisle. And historic trends show that the party not in the White House uh, tends to have a, uh, a good election year in these off election years. So I think Republicans are really hoping to take back the House, and that's very possible given the numbers and historic trends. In the Senate, Democrats seem pretty well positioned. There's a, a, a good number of tough uh, Republican seats up for election that... Uh, that Republicans currently hold, but that Democrats won uh, in the presidential election. And those are up for re-election, so those will be tough to hold on to. And uh, a couple, a number three retirements already among Senate Republicans that the Senate will have to defend. So it, it appears to be, uh, you know, positive uh, trends and, and picture for Republicans in the House and positive trends and picture for Democrats in the Senate. But there's a long time, long way to go. And we'll obviously be monitoring that that closely as I'm sure you will be as well. I, I wanted to close before we open it up for questions to highlight a couple, um, I don't know, from, from, my, from my standpoint, as I spend a lot of time uh, doing advocacy and, and work on Capitol Hill and within the administration, just some, some guidance or tips, especially as it relates to the changing dynamics of, of, uh, of COVID. First and foremost is obviously the, the manner in which we're communicating with policymakers is very different. Uh, In-person meetings are not happening. And therefore, uh, you know, everything by, by call or Zoom or email communication, which, you know, has its own own challenges for sure, but but it also allows people to more directly and more regularly communicate with their policymakers. And if I didn't mention this last year, uh, I certainly want to mention it this year, which is if during these leadership summits, leadership conferences, it's the uh, one and only time in the year that you're communicating with your policymakers it's really a lost opportunity. You know, the, the benefit of advocacy and the benefit of engaging with policymakers um, is to really create an ongoing dialogue where there's constant communication back and forth to your policymakers. Ultimately, you wanna be a resource to those who, who have uh, influence and are well positioned to impact the issues you care about. And, 
when those issues arise, you want them to be as much of a priority as possible. And in order to do that, you want to position yourself as a resource. And the best way to do that is to stay in regular communication. ACB is obviously a powerhouse when it comes to uh, influencing the, um, the array of, of stakeholders and policymakers in, in Washington, DC. But it's important they also hear from their constituents back home, and not just once a year or twice a year, but, but as regularly as possible to make sure that uh, among all the noise in Washington, DC, with a lot of people communicating, you're able to uh, effectively impact their decision-making as it relates to not only the five tracks, but also the, the legislative imperatives that, that you will be talking about this, uh, this year. So appreciate everybody's uh, commitment. I'm really excited to be, to be back. And with that, Clark, I will turn it back over to you and questions if there are any. Thank you so much, Charles. And thank you for stressing the importance of building those relationships with our members of Congress and their staff and becoming a trusted resource to help drive those, those issues forward, as well as being there and being a trusted resource in case the staff or member has questions or wants to seek input or guidance on other policy issues as well. And as Charles said, we do have time here for a few questions. Anthony, go ahead. Hi, I have um, two things. Uh, the first thing I wanted to ask was, you know, during, you know, the last year, this pandemic, you know, the world has been leveled, both, you know, disabled community and the, you know, the, uh, the community at large to a place where I think the quote unquote normal community has never experienced things the way we experience them in such a real time effect. And I'm wondering in advocating you know, there's been some conversation back and forth among a lot of us, whether or not it's it's appropriate and worth leveraging the fact that some of the things that the world at large has experienced is something that we are or comparable to things that we experience in day to day life and leveraging that in trying to make our points and making our personal stories more resounding and more um, uh, comparable. And then the second thing I wanted to ask was, you know, we're having a lot of us across the country are having a hard time securing some of the meetings because of all the business that's being done in DC. It's a historically unique year. I don't think we've ever seen a year like that before. So how far out should we be asking for meetings if we can't secure something for this week or next week? Two really, really good questions. And thank you. Thank you for both of them. On the first, uh, I would say the, you know, the, the greatest impactful way to uh, advocate is to tell the story. And I think the answer to your first question, I would say is, it's important to tell your story, not only um, how your, your story, you know, highlights some, some, uh, some challenges in times that COVID doesn't exist. And I think that's important to, to talk about, but also tell your story within the context of COVID. Um, so I would say, yes, absolutely. That is something to, to talk about and leverage. And your story is the most important part of, uh, of advocating when you're doing it to a policymaker that represents you back. Uh, secondly, on, on uh, scheduling, there's no, unfortunately there's no magical solution to scheduling. 
I would say the, the earlier you can make the request, the better and the more flexibility that you can have, the better. So if they're not, not able to do it during this, uh, this uh, section of time here that you're using for this leadership conference or legislative conference, I would, I would try to make, try to give them as much advance notice as possible or put it on them to provide you with the dates that work if, you're, if your schedule is fairly flexible. But I think, uh, I think the, the goal on having everybody do meetings in a, in a narrow period of time is obviously to, to maximize the level of messaging and the same narrative going out to, to policymakers across the board. In cases where that's not possible, obviously you, you need to do it when, when they're available. And we're running into that. You know, there's, there's a lot of people trying to, trying to get meetings now. And because of a new administration and new Congress, there's a lot of new issues that everybody's very, very active on. So don't get, uh, don't get too down about it, but I would just try to aggressively uh, get back on their schedule um, when, when it works, if it doesn't work during this time. Okay, next and is it, Charlene, go ahead. Yes, uh, good morning, good afternoon, and thanks for being with us. Um, I'm concerned about these stimulus packages that you indicate are coming up. Uh, while there are millions of people who need this aid, and I appreciate that, there are also quite a number of us who do not. And I would like to know whether these stimulus packages that are coming up next are going to be geared more for those who really need it, say at a certain income level or below. Um, and if so, whether the money that is saved from that can then be transferred to other areas such as transportation. Thank you. That's a great, that's another great question. You know, candidly, all, all that's been out there is a, our proposals at this point, it's expected to move through the house this week. And then, uh, you know, the Senate will, will have to move their own version and, and they'll have to get together and, and uh, finalize a version. I, I hesitate to, to um, you know, articulate a vision for the entire bill since I, I don't know what the end product is. But I, I would say that I think part of it is, is narrowly focused on on individuals and in some of those cases it is dependent on there are th income thresholds and and other i should say broadly just thresholds involved in in who gets that and and a good amount of it is not is not necessarily focused to individuals so it's probably a mix of both and um this is all uh being done sort of at a through a very different uh, legislative tactic called reconciliation, which I don't want to bore anybody with that hasn't studied that, but it's a, it's a way to get this done a little bit quicker and without the 60 vote threshold in the Senate. So it will take uh, some negotiation back and forth, but probably not as much as, as uh, a normal piece of legislation going through regular order. So we'll have to, we'll have to review it when, when there's a more final product. We just don't, we don't have that at this stage. So I'm not, I'm not sure I can make a guess. Okay, next is as to the uh, savings. Last. As to the savings, uh, that that is also not clear at the moment. But uh, most of a lot of this will be new funding. Five nine one last three. Go ahead. Yeah, hello. Um, 
First, let me. This is Dan Sipple with Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America. First, let me thank you for your uh, willingness to share your expertise with all your foresight and insight. But um, I'm with the Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America, and my question pertains to the infrastructure uh, aspect of things. And as I I worked for the state of Wisconsin for a number of years, and I was quite active in the union. And when we went to negotiate a union contract, our philosophy was that if you want policy or humanitarian issues, uh, you ask for them when the um, left wing was in power, because being Wisconsin's a, a swing state. And if you want anything but monetary, you go to the right wing because the right wing has a firm belief that money solves all issues. But so with the infrastructure bill, you know, that's going to probably include highways and bridges because they've been ignored over the years. And there's been a movement quite some for many decades about privatizing highway rest areas. And uh, the last big movement was uh, when the Portman Amendments uh, for the Transportation Reauthorization Bill about 10 years ago. We soundly defeated that with the assistance of Barbara Boxer out of California. And uh, we owe forever and to her. But, um, you know, there's a fear that, there, you know, with all these COVID uh, care bills, there's going to be a lot of bills to be paid in the next couple of decades. So they're going to be searching for money wherever they can find it. And it, you know, so there might, it could well uh, surface again that the elephant in the room could well come to, to fruition again. Is that Are they going to want to privatize the highway rest areas and sell them off to help pay for the infrastructure for the roads and bridges? You know, and take those jobs away from us because under the Randolph Shepard Act, we have priority. And under the Canelli amendments, which uh, reaffirm that, that we have it on the highway rest areas. So all they'd have to do is nullify the Canelli amendments and they could sell off the highway rest areas, which would put about half of us right out of business. And so my concern is that, you know, being it's a policy and humanitarian issue, but it's also a fiscal issue, you know, because the, uh, they're going to be searching for money. So the, the right wing is going to say, hey, we got a pot of money. We could sell this off to Dog and Suds or whatever. You know, you know McDonald's would love to have this property, this eagerness and access to these. And, but the humanitarian side is that, you know, it's a job transfer from the disability community to the, to the uh, able-bodied community. What would be your best approach, meaning that we have such a close margin, uh, how we, if, these, if this elephant surfaces, where do we put our emphasis? We have to go, we have to play everybody on both sides of it. I would think. Yeah, that's a good question. I I actually am not, uh, you know, that's not an area where I have a ton of expertise. But I'll sort of answer it broadly and then give you some ideas of how you should get out there. First of all, uh, they've been talking about doing an infrastructure package for close to five years now, and uh, you know they they're a year late on the transportation bill. And a big reason for that is they've had a very difficult time coming up with a new revenue solution that is big enough to impact our nation's transportation and infrastructure. infrastructure. Um, but it's also in, in part because, uh, you know, these are, are really big changes that are based on formulas and a highway trust fund and other funding sources that have been around for a long time and have not changed. So 
revenue and and money, you know, is a big part of of trying to solve the problem. So you're not you're certainly not wrong there. I would say, you know, I don't specifically know about the about what level of risk the the issue is that that you brought up as it relates to rest stations, and um, I can certainly work with. I can f- find that out and certainly work with Clark and others to to get that message back to you. But I would say if if you feel that that is at risk, and in fact, if it is at risk, I would make sure that that early on, so that's not that's likely not to happen in real time past the House and Senate, probably until you know the summer, early, early in the summer, maybe around July fourth, and then they'll negotiate it after that uh, to be done by the September thirtieth deadline. Uh, I think that transportation and infrastructure will be will be put together uh, in most scenarios. I believe that will happen, but I would I would say you want to get out there early and often, and and obviously it so- sounds as though you probably have a fairly large footprint of those that would be impacted, and making sure that they're reaching out to their members of Congress and, and flagging the uh, opportunity costs that would that would come with that kind of policy change. I think is really important. And since everybody's focused on infrastructure and transportation as a as a big solution and economic recovery solution at the end of the year, people are really focused on on trying to get some of those solutions ironed out right now. So it's not too early to start those conversations. But I wish I knew more about the issue specifically. Um, I just don't. So I don't, I don't want to take a guess at how much of a risk that's at currently. Ray Campbell. And this will be our last question. All right. Uh, Charles, good morning, and thank you uh, again for sharing your expertise with us. My name is Ray Campbell from uh, the state of Illinois. And um, my concern is about one of the aspects. uh, There's been talk about, of course, raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. And I think most of us would agree that some raise is needed. But in this time when you're asking small businesses that have been struggling through a uh, terrible pandemic to, oh, we're going to let you come out. By the way, now you got to pay people more. Um, how I, I'm concerned about the effect that that could have on blind and visually impaired uh, business operators, particularly uh, some of our vendors uh, who uh, may be who are struggling themselves and may need to, uh, you know, you know, be forced to start paying their people more. Um, what, how would you, how do you think it'd be best to advocate on this uh, minimum wage issue, recognizing that people probably need to make a little bit more, but also bringing forward the concerns about small businesses and the struggles that they've had and not wanting to throw this burden upon them right away? Thanks for the question, Ray. And obviously minimum wage has been a priority of House and Senate Democrats uh, for a while. Uh the House passed a minimum wage increase last year, and it didn't didn't move in the Senate. And uh, President Biden on the campaign trail highlighted an increase in the minimum wage as one of his top priorities. So that's why now, with the House and Senate controlled by by Democrats and and President Biden in the White House, that's why there's been such a uptick in focus there. In addition to the fact that a number of states recently have, through constitutional uh, ballot amendment have increased the minimum wage to $15 an hour. So I think what's on the table 
is this proposal to phase in minimum in minimum wage, I think to 2026, I could be wrong on that, uh, where it eventually gets up to $15 an hour. Um, there's a, a technical answer, which I'll give you, and there's sort of a broader practical answer. The technical answer is it's very difficult. Um, we'll see here in the next week or so, but it's very difficult to, to find a way to increase the minimum wage in a manner that does not require 60 votes in the Senate, which is a complicated way of saying Republicans will have to sign off on a minimum wage increase, uh, most likely. There, there's still some question about that, but, but uh, that's most likely. Secondly, um, at least two Democratic senators have, have already come out saying that they have some concerns uh, with phasing in a $15 minimum wage. So there's a, a political hurdle that, uh, or maybe even political hurdles that are difficult to overcome when it, when it comes to this specific policy, regardless of what side of the issue you're on. Um, there's some, some difficult hurdles there. When, when it's difficult uh, legislatively and politically to get something across the finish line, and it has this much momentum across the country, uh, generally speaking, what, what we have noticed over the years happens, and this, this may buck this trend or, or not, we're not sure, is uh, members towards the center come together and start looking for alternatives to the policy that maybe scale it back a little bit in, a, in an effort to reach that higher vote threshold in the Senate. And I think we're starting to see that. Um, there's a couple of Republican senators that are coming out with a, with a proposal um, that doesn't bring the minimum wage to 15, but um, may adjust it over the year to a lower level. Obviously states are doing a lot uh, across the country. Um, and so it's hard to see how this ends, but there's certainly, um, Ray, for, for someone who is expressing some concern about getting it, getting towards the $15 line, there's certainly a couple hurdles uh, that, that Congress would need to, to cross that they're unable to do so right now. But we'll see that over the next couple of weeks, whether that is the case or that goes away. Otherwise, I'd anticipate some negotiation over the course of the year on that issue. Great. Great, Charles, thank you so much for your time here and the expertise and experience that you're sharing with our members. We look forward to working with you in your capacity as chair of advocacy for Signal Group, as well as the great work that you're doing with the Signal Outdoor Practice here in the 117th Congress. Thank you very much, Clark. Really appreciate it. All right, and for the rest of the general session here, we have another guest. Uh, a gentleman who is no stranger to ACB. We've been working with Jeff Levitke, an attorney at law here in Washington, D.C., for going on 20 years now. And Jeff, good afternoon. Well, hello, Jeff. Yep. Uh, can you, hi. Uh, yes. Hi. Can you hear me okay? We can. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. And Jeff, you've primarily worked with ACB on a, a little court case that we've <laughs> been having uh, an ongoing issue with, and that's regarding accessible paper currency. This has been going on for now for about since March of 2002. And um, I think as most of your members are aware, 
in 2008, the district court issued an injunctive order requiring that currency be made accessible by the next major redesign. And over the years, the government has pushed back its scheduled redesign of currency. Uh, it was first set originally to be 19, I mean, 2013 or so, and then moved up to 2017, and then 2020, and now it's 2026. And uh, so as of today, the deadline for making the next denomination currency accessible uh, will be 2026, at, at which date the $10 bill is scheduled to be redesigned. Now, as um, chance would have it, when the Biden administration came in, uh, they announced that they wanted to accelerate the redesign to include Harriet Tubman in the bill, a portrait of Harriet Tubman in the bill. And the sense I'm beginning is that they want to do it before 2026. And in fact, they want to do it before the next presidential election, which would be in 2024. So uh, under the terms of the court's injunctive decree, they can't do that uh, without also adding an accessibility feature to the currency. And so we've sent a letter on Friday to the Secretary of uh, Treasury, Janet Yellen, saying that while we welcome the Tubman redesign, it has to be done concurrently with the accessibility redesign. And uh, of course, we have not received a response to that letter. Um, and, and Jeff, you beat me to it. I was gonna ask, so we have this injunctive order from 2008. Uh, we know that currency redesigns for paper currency must include accessibility for people who are blind. Um, there's not a requirement for a the timeline on which it needs to be done, but they are setting the timeline for when the currency will be redesigned. You discussed the letter sent by ACB or on behalf of ACB to the Secretary of the Treasury. What else do you think ACB and our members can do to push for accessible paper currency? I think at this stage, <clears throat> the key is greater public awareness, the fact that this lawsuit, this injunctive order exists. I think that while almost everyone in the country has probably heard of um, some the interest in, in redesigning the currency to incorporate Harriet Tubman, I think very few people really know and are aware of the issues involving accessibility currency. And I think it's that real lack of public awareness here that has allowed in many ways the administration to delay implementation of the redesign for so long. And I think that greater public pressure at this stage on the administration would have an enormously beneficial impact because we believe obviously in civil rights for all Americans. And I think that that includes all minorities, as well as the people who are blind and visually impaired. And, and to, to leave out the blind uh, is, is, strikes me as, as being not consistent with the administration go administration's goals, which, which is to focus on human rights for all people. So I think the key here is, is to be a greater public awareness so that people know that the government has a duty to redesign currency. And this in turn would put political pressure on the administration. My concern, albeit maybe not fully justified, but my concern 
is that the administration will try to incorporate the Tubman redesign without doing the accessibility redesign. And to forestall that possibility, I think greater public pressure is important. So I would urge your members to write their senators, their congressmen, their public officials, whoever they may be, and remind them that there is an obligation on the part of the government to, in the next redesign, to incorporate an accessibility. And thank you for that, Jeff. And just to be clear, it's not an either or choice, right? Uh, the government doesn't have to decide whether or not they redesign the $20 bill to include Harriet Tubman or to include accessibility. My, my position in this is that it's not in either, in fact, it can't be an either or choice. It has to be, should be both. I mean, I think that the Tubman redesign is fine, but they have to at the same time concurrently with the Tubman redesign, do what is required by the terms of the injunctive decree which is at that time also incorporate an accessibility feature into the banknotes. And we, we know within our membership in the broader community, there are millions of, Mer of Americans um, within the intersection of disability as well as being African-American or people of color. And what a great way to have a legacy of inclusion live on by having the first accessible paper currency uh, be that one honoring a, a great American who fought for freedom like Harriet Tubman. I totally agree. And I wholeheartedly endorse that sentiment. I think that is the key. I think that Harriet Tubman stood for civil rights for all Americans. And I think that that's what her record is. And I think it would be doing a disservice to her record to incorporate a portrait with her while leaving out an accessibility feature, which could be of so much help to millions of visually impaired people in this country. Jeff, thank you so much for speaking with us today and sharing this issue with our members. Uh, folks, we will certainly have more on this topic going forward. But again, again, Jeff, thank you so much. And thank you very much for having me. All right, folks, we are reaching the end of our first general session for day one of the legislative seminar. Again, I just wanna give a quick thank you, A, to President Spoon for welcome, welcoming us in to start today's proceedings, as well as Charles Cooper, Managing Director and Chair of Advocacy for the Signal Group, and Jeff Levitke, an attorney who is helping ACB advocate for accessible paper currency. Next up, we'll have a 15-minute break where you can stay tuned for the Connection Show here on ACB Mainstream, our Breakout A featuring transportation with presentations from the Department of Transportation, Office of Aviation Civil Rights, and a panel of airline industry representatives, and our final panel on autonomous vehicles will be up right here on mainstream. And then over on live stream, we will have live, learn and earn with vision loss with panels focusing on special education, rehabilitation and products and services for older Americans with vision. 
To close out the day, we'll be back here for our second general session dealing with accessible voting with a presentation from the Election Assistance Commission and a panel of local voting officials from around the country. Thank you, everyone, and keep advocating. Well, here we are with Leadership Live. Hey, Tony, are you there? Very exciting. Wow, okay. And thank you, Tyson, for streaming here on ACB Radio Mainstream. Wow, we've got great numbers. I think I see- it's Amazing, uh, isn't it, Debbie? <laughs> yeah, 126 maybe on Zoom and 146 on, on Mainstream. It's great. Really excellent. You know, one of the things that I really appreciate about this year's um, seminar, Cindy, is, is many people having a chance to show up and express their concerns, their questions, their passions, their just what's on their mind. It seems like many more voices in networking you noticing that for sure and to learn i mean yeah absolutely i am learning stuff that i i probably knew somewhere but it's being refreshed and renewed and you know uh, i i loved uh what jeff just gave us about the currency issue because it's a real issue and man my wheels started turning you know like what could we do what we we've got to think up some really cool ways to get out there in the general population and make this an issue for everyone that they're that they know about it not just those of us we in the blindness movement what about some role plays i like, i was thinking that yeah, you know yeah. like you hand people oh, the it, same sizes i mean we could even yeah. use the the money that comes in a monopoly game we you know <laughs> And say, okay, you get all these pieces of paper. Now, what do you do? And there's Tony. Yeah. Yay. There's my, my partner in crime for the yeah. leadership live. I'll, I can duck out yeah, of here yeah, now. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks, Cindy. But yeah, we'll have to talk yeah. more about this. No, I, I love the idea play. of doing yeah. some stuff and making some videos and getting yeah. them out on YouTube, make, making it mm -hmm. really visible, um, you know, for for folks to to see that there really is an issue. More importantly, that that the that there has been a court case and that we want it. And yeah. you know, this isn't like that we're trying to wish for something that shouldn't happen, right? Well, and why should we be excluded? Exactly. When it is different in other countries, and I just like to go back to empathy. How would you feel if that were you? How would yep. you feel if you were handed all these? And, and you didn't know and then, which bill was which and yeah and you thought you were getting fifty dollars back in you know or two 20s and a 10 and then and somebody you got three ones only instead. gave you three ones <laughs> oh, dear. hey tony hello hey how you doing today i'm good can you hear me or no indeed we're giving you that t-shirt <laughs> can you hear me now <laughs> i love it yes we do it's great all right. Are you there? Uh -huh. I know we Yeah. Hit the mute button on the microphone. Like oh. Idiot. All right. <sighs> Sorry, I'm late. 
It's okay. I'd say Cindy I was, and I it's were snowing here in Washington. I was waiting on a bus, wow. but I've been here the whole time. I know. I know. It's yeah. Well, you know, there have been so many phone calls and other things going on, but I just our numbers are great. I see well over 120 in here on Zoom and over 140 mm-hmm. on the stream. And people showing up, having a chance to express and and ask questions and make comments, and it's that's really networking at its finest. Definitely, and it's it's been, you know, we're also pushing this out over acb.org/live. That's so YouTube, for folks right? That an easy way. That's YouTube yeah. or Facebook or the community. So you can access either of the three streams, whichever one loads up fastest for you. We're finding that YouTube has less of the clutter that, you know, you often get with, um, you know, like Facebook when you have stuff like that. Well, it's probably a good way to watch those numbers and see how we're doing in targeting different different markets or different avenues of how people would tune in, right? It's actually, well, I was a little bit late. I had the, the joys of when we're watching on the streams as things are delayed and I've been going in the streams kind of, you know, taking down little notes to say, how many people are watching at which time? And I guess I was about three minutes behind still with Jeff talking about currency oh. when Kelly's like, do you hear Debbie? And I'm like, ah, like <laughs> so my stream is slow. I guess I had it. Oh, well, so, you know, radio people, but, that's the thing about radio people. We, we could talk to ourselves. You know, we do, we end up doing that, <laughs> but I'd rather you talk know, to remember, you. Yeah, those radio <laughs> days when I was in radio in the nineties and I, You'd have a microphone. You have no idea someone was listening. That's like right. In the morning, late. But I love having you here. So it's oh, great. So it's nice to have a, a co-pilot. Yeah. So do we have any guests today? I think we I think do. We've got a mini mall minute coming up. Hey. And so if uh, our, our host, if, if Carla, Carla or, or Patty, are you there? Mini mall minute. So we'll see if they need to be unmuted. Real What's quick. on special at the mini mall for the minute? We need a mini mall uh, jingle. You know, I was even thinking if if I had planned it right, I would have done a little music thing for leadership. Right, Live. Patty's available. There Ooh. she is. Oh, thanks, Cindy. Hey, Patty. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, can hey. you hear me? Good afternoon. Yes. Yeah, loud and clear. For some reason, my video's not coming up, so we're going to do it without video. I think you look Give great today. Give us a good today. description, Patty, of what we oh, got. Oh, thank you. You look fine. Jeez. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's well, because you came in as an attendee and not a panelist. I think yeah. that's the reason. I, I don't have a panelist um, connection. We'll get you taken care of, Patty. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So I, I could promote her really quick. Well, will she like have that? video? Yeah, yeah, she'd have she video. Have something to show yeah. us, Patty? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll just camera. promote you, Patty. Yeah. Yeah. I want to tell okay, her in case you know. Wow. Yeah, why not? There. What's wrong with being promoted? We could fix that. promotion. Yay, there she is. There she is. Now she'll have two now places. She can make video. The That's magic. how you now I'm promoted. Yes, you've been promoted. Okay. So you're like Colonel um, Sanders now. I couldn't be like him. I do have recipes, but you know, <laughs> I heard about those. Give Not as many spices. Yeah. So what do we have um, for Mini Mall today? Mini Mall Minute. So today, the Mini Mall Minute. Um, want to remind everybody this is our DC celebration. Um, our phone number is 877-630-7190 or 877-969-MALL, which is 877-969-6255. And um, today we have a double special because if you order over $75, you get 10% off. But today we have masks at 10% off. You know, this 
we might be having vaccines, but I don't think these masks are gonna go away anytime soon. So I've got one just to show everybody and I have it on. It has the logo across the mouth. Um, it's a good way to promote your organization. Um, I've had many questions when I am out. So that is one way that you can promote your group. Um, even though it says ACB, tell them about your local group. They are one for 10, two for 18, or four for 35. And they're in a um, bunch of different colors, aren't they? Oh, there's 27 different colors. Wow. We, have, more than a rainbow. we have white to black, <laughs> blues, greens, pinks, purples, reds, any color that you would like. Um, and if you get at least four, you can get four different colors. Where You can wear them with anything. Masks do not need to match your clothing unless you are that uh, that way to have everything match. But no one has. I mean, if you want to go crazy matching. with twenty-seven masks, it helps ACB. So That's right. Yes, the profits we make from the mini mall, in case folks keep wondering why we're doing this, is the money we actually make yeah, money as an organization for through as contributions. So thank you for those that are shopping. Right, and we also have. I'm wearing an ACB cap. Um, and it has the logo atop of it. Um, we do have it in a light pink, black, tan, light blue, a butter, which is yellow, and a navy blue. And there is a gray also. All caps today are $18. They're, they're really good to wear out. They help with glare. So if you're low vision, might help you with your glare going on. Um, and we also have these accessory bags. I love these bags. They have three pockets across one side. They're not huge. They do have zippers for each one and one across the back. So there are potentially four pockets. The ACB logos at the bottom of the smallest pocket. It has a loop to which you can hook it onto your, with your keys, take it with you with all your, you know, all your goodies in it, your credit cards, you're going to go spend money when you go out, right? Mm -hmm. And we'd like you to spend it with us first. Right. So, yeah. um, but these accessory bags are really good. And we have right. one more thing. We have our right. pad folios. Those, these pad folios are great. It doesn't matter if you can see or not. You look really official with them. They're leather. They're faux leather. They have an ACB embossed um, logo on it on the front. It also has mm -hmm. a file pocket on the front, a big file pocket inside, a zippered pocket that's about, I'd say three quarters of the, of the length of the side. It has a half pocket. It has small pockets for business cards, an area for your ID. It also has a pad of paper with it, a place for a pin, and it all zips up so you don't drop anything out. Oh, and the pad folios are... Yeah. Um, an eight and a half. It's it's a little bit larger than eight and a half oh, cool. um, by 11. Mm -hmm. I'd say it's about like 14, maybe 13, 14 inches okay. by about yes. nine inches. Yeah. Oh, yes. It could mm -hmm. hold braille paper. And these are um, $35. They make great gifts, too. Hmm. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Patty. And cool. thanks for the mini mall minute. We, a little more than a minute. You had a lot to share right. today, which is great because the proceeds help. More. I'll be back later. Folks. All right. Hey, what's the number real quick one more time for people to, to, to order? 877-630-7190 or 877-969-6255.
Excellent. Thanks, Patty. Great. Thank you. Thank you. All right. You know, great. Yeah, very. My good. wife got her uh, second shot on Saturday for the vaccine, and it's very exciting. So half our grown-ups in our house are going to clean, but even she's still wearing a mask now, just to play it safe and just too for community. You know, reminding yeah. people that aren't vaccinated. That Interesting. So get some masks, folks. It's still, yeah. you know, I, I know, I, I whenever still I have get my couple. shot, I'll probably still. And honestly, yeah. this is the first year I haven't had like the flu or other. You know, I usually get sick like twice a year just by being around kids and germs. I might, I think there's talk about a lot of people um, still wearing masks even after, like, you know, just on public transit and stuff. Well, and I you want, brand it with ACB. I want to brag about how wonderfully the fireside chat was last night. I was just so impressed and leave it to Dan Spoon to get that going. And I really felt like everyone that was there was there because they so wanted to be there. Yeah. And if yeah. you missed it, you can check it out on our YouTube and Facebook channels. It's been streamed and recorded, so you can find it for those that didn't oh, get a chance I to check to it out. It. That's what I want to see. And we'll have the podcast. The fireside chat. Think by yeah. tonight. Yeah. So uh, I think we're getting our, our guests queued up now for the afternoon sessions. Uh, right. This is going to still be a breakout channel. We'll be going into breakout mode. We'll still be streaming this channel over our stream. So uh, the focus today on the, the breakout A in room A is going to be transportation. So I think yeah. some of the folks that I had the privilege to serve with uh, when I was on an accessibility advisory committee are going to be joining uh, LaVon Chapman and Megan Johnson and Alex today with the Department of Transportation. We've got down on our agenda. So welcome you all to the ACB as you're getting queued up and we're just given a transition uh, here between our breakout sessions. For those that are uh, doing the breakout B in room B, you should have gotten those links for those that have registered. For those that didn't register, you can listen in on ACB radio. Live event. Live events. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Debbie. Live so on live events, events and uh, there's the number as well to dial in for that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so this is exciting. That'll be a rehabilitation followed by, uh, no, education. Debbie Grubb's going to kick that off with a panel conversation on education. Folks know Debbie from Florida. She chairs our education committee. And then we're going to be going to ed, uh, rehabilitation and then senior issues. Well, then seniors is back like here Becklin, in National Council on Independent Living this afternoon. Yeah, that's back here in A, in on mainstream again. The last after one. the words, yeah, yeah, we'll have right. our last. Well, the the, the Debbie that's going to be on the B, right? And we'll be back here live again. What at three forty-five? I think. Debbie? I think so. Yeah, right after another Great. leadership live, we'll be back here, and on mainstream. So we have a That's full right. day. Yeah. That's so for you, sure. We do a full day. We'll have voting access at the end of the day, which was a huge issue. And anyone <sighs> who's so inclined, it, Next Generation has a community call tonight, and they're celebrating their first birthday. They chose not to stream it, but they will be, and it's on the community call list for today. And uh, wow, I'm so proud of them. I mean, I just remember it was like yesterday, and they were brand new. So there they are. One year. Happy One birthday. Year. Yeah. Happy birthday, wow. Next Gen. Yeah. Well, splendid. So, all right. Well, gosh, thank you, Tony. Anything else? Nothing on this end Nothing. so much. I mean, okay. I guess we're just getting ready and uh, waiting for our guests. I don't know. I think Clark's going to be moderating the transportation panel. So I don't know if Clark is getting mic'd back up. Uh, he deserved a break. Uh, <laughs> wonderful hearing from Charles Cooper. Thank you, Charles, for joining us, as well as Jeff Levitke. Uh, talking about the currency and Congressman Gus Bilirakis from the 12th District of Florida. So thanks to our Florida contingency of members that have had such a good relationship opportunity with Congressman Bilirakis as he continues to. Great. All right.
We started at 12 today too. We did. We did. We did. Oh, and I'm sure I know you slept in until 1150, didn't you? We were on the phone uh, earlier today. So I know we have lots of fundraising things going on all the time, all week long. MMS always beyond this week, but MMS and see, I'm, I'm wearing your hat now and the walk and the forum. And, and we'll be having, um, the MMS folks and the walk, uh, I believe tomorrow, uh, Leslie's going to join us for the auction. Well, no, I should say, yeah, uh, some of those folks we talked about yesterday, but Leslie will join us from the auction tomorrow at one. So tune in for folks wanting to find out about the auction. that has been such a huge success. Yeah. Um, we're doing the MMS. You can still have a chance to win those prizes. Uh, you can call 202-743-0755 or email askacbmms at gmail.com. That's askacbmms at gmail.com. Uh, and find out how get, you can support us a little bit each month. You can still get Jason's MP3 for $25. And that's if you go to the, and the link for that, if you want to do the ACB radio is. Tinyurl.com slash ACB radio. I could say it in my sleep. And we had Tiny a couple URL. people give yesterday. So thanks to those. They that did. Thank so. you for those of you who gave yesterday. I think we're just, oh, I think we're. Um, we may have hit 4,000 this morning. I don't know. But anyway, it's all good. It's very exciting. And uh, hmm. uh, I just heard the door in the office down the hall close. So maybe it's Clark getting back on camera. I am here and good. Yay, there he is. Clark. All right. All right. Great. Well, I will well, close we will my mic. Pass the hat. Yeah. And let you take over. All, all right. right. Thanks, Tony. Tony and Thank Debbie. Thank you, Debbie. And enjoy, everybody.